This last week has been just another week in the United Kingdom, right? <laughs> just like clockwork, another major governmental failing, another example of leadership out of touch with the people of uh, the majority of the country, another example of somebody having power but just not being able to use it well. I mean, doesn't it feel like at the moment that we are approaching territory where we're going to get so used to it that if we go a week without some kind of major political upheaval, we are going to feel deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> but joking aside, don't we just long for stability? Don't we just long for, particularly after these last three years that we've all been through, just leadership that is good and power and authority, people using it in a way where we feel like we can actually put our trust in what they are doing and that have both the willingness and also the ability to work for the good of the people that they are serving. And it's right that we want these things because we need these things. And what we are going to see today and as we look at the Bible together is that this leadership and this use of authority that we long for is something that we can actually find. That today, even today, we can find all of this. We can find somebody who has power and authority that, we can, that is committed to using that authority for the good of the people he has authority over. And that rather than the emptying of our pockets, that he is desperate for us to experience his riches and to get in on his generosity. And we're going to see this through Jesus speaking what is called a parable. Um, and a parable is a story that Jesus would use quite often um, during his ministry, where he would, he would tell a story using very everyday examples of things that people would encounter that communicate something of the ways that, that God works, the patterns of how life works best in what he calls his kingdom, the, the realm of God, the, the, when, the, when the earth is operating as God intends it to. And often these ways of his kingdom they go against our expectations. And in fact, they often offend our sensibilities. And that is what we're going to see this morning. So I hope you have come to church this morning ready to be offended. And we're going to be offended by his generosity. And you might think, surely generosity does not sound like something that will offend me. But we are going to see that it is so unconditional, it is so wide-reaching and so inclusive that it actually jars with our spirit. But we are also going to see how this same generosity, that as it confronts us, actually we start to see just how desperately we need it and how desperate God is for us to get in on his generosity. So today's message is called Offensive Generosity, and we're going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel. Um, so if you do have a Bible with you today, we're turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. It's the first book of the New Testament, about three quarters of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, no problem at all. I'm going to read from my Bible here, but the words will appear on the screen behind me so you can read along there. So Matthew, chapter 20, we'll read the first 16 verses. Uh, so from verse 1, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples his closest followers. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, that's a coin, a day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. 
So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who hired when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do you not understand with me? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. As I said, this parable describes one of the most normal moments, a normal day. A master has a vineyard, the grapes are ripe. The harvest is on. He needs to, to get it done. And so what would be usual in this time is exactly what he does. He goes to the marketplace where there would be workers queuing up, looking for a job, working day by day. And the owners of the vineyards, they'd go to the marketplace. They'd look for people to hire to come and help them in the harvest. And of course, if you are picking workers, you want the best. You want the best workers you can possibly find. You want the elite grape gatherers to come and help you. I'm not really sure what an elite grape gatherer looks like, how you would signal as a worker that I am indeed one of the best grape gatherers you can get. I don't know like, how, you, how you flex grape gathering. I imagine like, being tall, strong. Maybe some of them would like, fashion some gadgets that they could use to like, get to the high. I don't know. I don't know how it worked out. But I imagine it was something like what we have all experienced picking teams on the playground. There would be some here who were just like confidently strutting around. They got a bit of a reputation. They know that they are a good grape gatherer. They know the masters of the vineyards know they are a good grape gatherer. They'd be like, yep, yeah, we're going to get picked first. And then the rest of us, very much the non-elites, would just be anxiously waiting, like, when are we going to get picked? Are we going to get picked? Because that was a very real fear for these. They were genuinely anxious, living day by day, if they earned, what they earned, they then ate. So if they managed to get work, if they managed to get picked, you and your family, you'd be able to eat that day. Don't get work, nobody's eating. They need this work, they need the money. And so for those that get picked, this is really good news for them. But not only do they get picked, they agree with the master, a denarius a day. Now this is a very generous wage for a day of work like this. And so any day you get work, is a good day. Any day where you get work and you get paid a denarius, that's a good day. Good day for these workers. But then the master, we see him do something pretty strange. After he has hired his first batch and they've gone back, you think that's the story over. But then he goes back on the third hour. It was about 9 a.m. in the morning where we are about now. And he hires a few more. And you think, okay, maybe he like miscalculated, got it a bit wrong, needed a, a bit more manpower. But then we see him go back on the sixth hour and do exactly the same. And then the ninth hour. 
And then finally, on the 11th hour of the day, he goes and hires even more. The day finishes at the 12th hour. He is hiring these people. The day is basically over. There's one hour of the day left. Why is he hiring at this point? And he's, he's hiring at this point. He's going to talk to them. It says in verse 6 and verse 9, that's when they get hired. So by the time they have got over to the vineyard, they've had their vineyard induction, they've passed all of their background security checks, they've been shown how the coffee machine works, they've finally got their login details from IT, they'd be able to pick about like three grapes. That'd be it. Day over. I mean, it's just madness from this master. Terrible business decision. But then here's where it gets really interesting in verse 8. Because when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. So far, so normal. But then he said, beginning with the last, up to the first. Beginning with the last, up to the first. So not only are these last workers, they're doing zero work, pretty much. They are then getting paid first. They are the last to arrive and the first to leave. And this matters. I mean, these first workers, they've been working 12 hours straight. They are exhausted, and they are going to be working again in 12 hours' time. This is their precious free time, and there is a lot of workers, by the looks of it here, to process. And they've got to wait behind these Johnny-come-latelys that have come right at the end of the day. But then it gets worse in verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. These men were picked last, paid first, and then given a whole denarius, a whole day's wages for basically no work. They are only available because nobody else wanted them. We read that in the passage, verse 7. The master goes up to them and says, why are you still in the marketplace? And they said, no one wanted to hire us. No one else would. These are not the elite. These are very much the novice grape gatherers, the useless, the ones that nobody else wants to touch. Picked to go first by the master. To be given abundantly more than their work deserves. And when these men, who have been working the whole day, see this, well, they get paid exactly the same. And they see these people who haven't been done any work getting paid. Understandably, they are not happy. In verse 11, we read that they grumbled, which I think is a remarkably restrained response. Imagine if you found out this was happening in your workplace. You work a full-time job, you get paid a salary that you think is all right, but then you find out that somebody else who works at most, more, uh, at most 8% of the hours that you work is pulling in exactly the same take-home pay. I think each of us would be marching into our boss's office, and I think grumbling would be the very least that we would be doing. Instantly, we get the outrage, the scandal of this story. We think, this is not fair. This is not just the practice of some eccentric, fictional landowner that has more money than sense. What Jesus is saying here is, this is the way of the kingdom of heaven. This is the ways of God. That God is like this master, and this is how he interacts with his people. This is a parable designed to provoke us 
to get us questioning, is God a fair God? And it's clear, actually, in the way this parable is set up, it is designed to try and get a reaction, designed to try and provoke us. That's what we saw in verse 8. He, the master is intentional in what he's doing. He said, line them up. Make sure that the 11th hour workers are right at the front and make sure that everyone else is behind them. They can't go home until it's all been done. Make sure that they see these people getting paid for what they did not deserve. It's all choreographed. And as we see, they are then outraged. They are shocked at what is going on. And they are offended. These first workers, they are offended by what God is doing, by what this master is doing. And what are they offended by? Generosity. If there is no generosity from this master, we haven't got a parable. I mean, imagine the story if there was the parable of the workers getting paid proportionally. Uh, him, he's worked a full day, he got a full day's wage. He worked for an hour, he got an hour's wage. It's a, it's a very vanilla story, but I think one that would actually be like, we're pretty happy with that. We're okay with that story. But it's only because there is this public display of radical generosity from this master that they are up in arms. And listen to then how they respond in verse 12. It says, these last, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Do you see it in the language. You hear the disdain in their voice. This is my fault, by the way, that it's still on the Exodus branding of our teaching series that we're going through, so try and ignore that. But you see it in the language that they say, you have made them equal to us. In their reckoning, there is very much here an us and a them. There is two camps. And it's funny how there was very little grumbling going on when they thought that their camp was getting some good treatment from the master. They were pretty happy with that. But now, this generosity is starting to get extended out from beyond them. And now they are offended. But they're not offended by the master being generous. They are offended by the master being generous to them to those over there, those people, the undeserving lot. Apologies if you happen to be over this side. <laughs> the undeserving lot. Be generous, they're saying to the master. By all means, be very generous, but only be generous to those who really deserve it. You know, those who have put a shift in, those that have proven their worth, that have got what it takes, that those that deserve your attention. These people over here, have been idle in the marketplace all day. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that they deserve nothing from you. Their position is clear. There should be limits on who gets in on the generosity of the master. We think like this all the time. Many of us in this room would be happy with the idea that God is a generous God. God is an abundant God. He's a lavish God. We'd celebrate and be like, yeah, that's who God is, until... We are confronted with the idea of God pouring out his kindness and his generosity to them. You think, God, are you serious? You're going to bless them after what they have done. God, do you not know who they are? 
It makes sense to us. Surely not everyone, not everyone should have instant access into the fullness of God's generosity and his riches. Perhaps when a boss has made your life miserable for years, just like Adela was saying before, it's natural for us to think, surely God, it is not right that you would bless him right now. Or maybe somebody from our past who has hurt us substantially. We think, God, surely it wouldn't be right that you would be completely good to them. Or it might indeed be that we are pretty angry at people who are maybe leading our country or uh, other people of significant influence over many people. And we think after all of the damage that they have caused and what they have done, they deserve nothing from God. Or the people that may have done the very worst things in our world. Surely there are limitations. All of us would have slightly different lists, perhaps, where we'd think, there must be some people that are excluded from God's goodness, right? But what Jesus is trying to press home for these people, for his disciples 2,000 years ago, for us today, is there are no limits on God's generosity. No person, nobody gets excluded. One way you can see this parable is the parable of the escalating and extending generosity of the master. The first workers, they get a denarius. That's a, that's a generous wage. And then after that, it's not stated outright, but it's implied. Those who worked only nine hours, they get a full wage. And then the, those who worked six hours, they get a full wage. Those who get three, worked three, they get in on it. And then those who worked almost nothing, they are welcomed right in. It's building and building and building, extending out each time to show truly nobody misses out on his generosity. God does not hold back from anyone. No boundary markers, no in or out, no us or them, no qualified or disqualified. Everyone can come. One of the things that we all long for today is inclusion. To be part of something where truly everyone is welcome. And it's one of the great things that many places today are, are trying to be inclusive places. But have you noticed how it's always inclusion with a caveat? We are an inclusive workplace. Absolutely anybody can come and work here. We will not discriminate. But you do have to have the right qualifications and experience in the first place to get in. Or whoever you are, we would love to have you come and be part of our community or our meeting or our society, but you do kind of have to agree to believe what we believe, share these opinions, fight for these causes alongside us, and maybe even start acting a bit like we do or dressing like we do. But Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, there is no caveat. Everyone can come. No qualifications required. And not just that everyone can come, but everyone is so welcome that they are sought out. I wonder if you noticed that in the story. Master didn't just open the door up, stick a help-wanted advert on the newsagent store and just be like, oh, I hope people come along, it'd be really good. He went to find them. He went to hire the workers right at the beginning of the story, but they're not satisfied in verse 3, we read he was going out again in the third hour. Verse 5, we read he's going out again twice on the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And then verse 6, finally, he went out one final time on the eleventh hour. This is not a picture of a man who can't work out how many workers he needs for his harvest. 
no idea what he's doing with his business. This is a man who knows exactly what he is doing. He is not a man concerned with the economies of it and the profit margins that he might be making. He knows each time he's going out. He knows exactly what he's doing. I am going to pay these additional workers a ridiculously overpaid amount. He knows exactly what he is doing, and yet he is totally desperate to do it. He's just like, I'm going to keep going out, keep going out to gather people in. Multiple times does he do it. Going to the increasingly non-elite, the novices, the one who nobody else will touch, looking to, to get them in at the very end, the ones who least deserve it. And it's almost like he's going out. It's just like, if I can find anyone to get in on this, I will. The searching generosity of God. This life of the master that Jesus lived out every day of his life. They could not believe the types of people that Jesus chose to spend his time with in his lifetime. They all expected Jesus to be like, I'm going to go and hang out with the elite, thank you very much. I'm going to go and spend time with those who have achieved, who are worth my time, who are deserving of it. People who have got it all together. But time and time again, this is what they said of Jesus. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Again, can you hear the disdain in their voice, the grumbling that's going on? He has gone in to be with a sinner. He's gone to, he sought out the sinner. Often this is a kind of collective term that's used through the Bible and the Gospels, that Jesus went to the tax collectors and sinners, the grouping of the worst of society, the most hated, the most despised. This is the darkest corner of society, the most unfit to be around other people, people we would not feel safe with. And Jesus didn't just open the door up and say, yeah, you can come in. But these are those he avidly sought out. He went for, like this master, desperate that they would hear, they would know, that they can find them, that no one else will touch, deserving nothing from him. But he's like, I want to find you so you can see, you can get in on this. It's this that makes the generosity of God so offensive to us. Only one person gets to decide who gets in on it. And that person is not you or me. As the master says in verse 13, he says, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. He does not choose as we would choose. The very people that we would exclude, the very people who we think least deserving of it, who we want to distance ourselves from, we want to create an us over here and a them over there with as much space between as we possibly can. Those are the very ones that he runs to the very ones that he is desperate to find them, that they might see and be drawn in to what he has, to treat them the same as everyone else, to give them the same treatment as us, to enter into the kingdom of God is to find ourselves rubbing shoulders with sinners, 
to share coffee with tax collectors, maybe even politicians. To see that everyone that might be on your list of undeserving people, people not fit for God's goodness, are invited to the table. And not just invited so that they can have a seat, but invited so that they can feast along with the rest of us on the full measure of God's goodness right alongside us. And Jesus wants us to see it. He tells this parable that like this, these workers, that we would be confronted, we would be offended by the undeserving getting in on everything. And you might think, why? Why does Jesus want us to see it? How is this good news for me to see people who I think are completely undeserving getting in on all of the goodness of God? He wants to shock us with his, the full extent of his generosity because he knows. He knows that it's only when we see just how far it goes, when we see there are no lines of distinction, that there is, only, there is no us and them, there is no in or out, only then can we know that we are truly in. Only then can we really know we are included. You know, this message is so typical of Jesus. He designs his messages to shock and offend the proud, but to the broken, to the helpless, to the lost, to the undeserving, it's comfort. And you know, in my experience, at any given time, both of these things, both the proud and the absolutely broken, exist in each one of us simultaneously. There is a part in all of us today who have some of the pride of the early workers. We think, you know what? I am absolutely crushing it. I'm great. I am up early, maybe metaphorically speaking for some of you here. I am up early. Uh, things are flying. I am doing really, really well. There's a part of our heart that thinks, yeah, I think it makes sense that God would want to bless me. I think I am somewhat deserving of God's goodness and his grace and his kindness towards me. It makes sense that he would choose someone like me, be generous to me. We may not literally be strutting around the marketplace, being like, yep, I'm going to get picked first. But we, are, we confidently consider ourselves part of the, the us, part of the deserving. But also inside each of us, there is this insecurity, this fear. What if I'm not? What if I'm actually part of the them? This fear that maybe we are far more like the 11th hour worker than we'd ever want to believe. That we know our own hearts. We know better than anyone else what we have done, what we have thought. We know our own daily potential to fall short. We know our daily potential to make destructive decisions in our own lives. We can put on a mask, we can play the part of absolutely crushing it each day, but we know that if people knew what we were really like, if we, what we really thought, we are terrified that we would be the ones standing in the marketplace. We would be the ones left behind. We would be the ones that nobody else would touch. And so what Jesus is doing here is he pro provokes us and he prods our pride. He wants to gently lead us to see we are all like this 11th hour worker. 
that we know ourselves to not be up to scratch. We know that we sometimes get up late. We know we are unable to hold it all together and to do it all. We know deep down that we are undeserving. And he wants us to see all of that so that we too can hear his voice come to the front of the queue. So that he can, he can beckon us forward and he can press a coin into our hand. Those who don't deserve from him that we might experience the overwhelming, overwhelming for some anyway, overwhelming, extravagant abundance of God in our lives. This is how it's put later on in the Bible. Paul, who's writing later to a church, he says, God wants to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, this is the undeserved favor of God and his goodness, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. He is desperate for us to get in on his riches, his immeasurable riches towards us. These are far greater than the riches of this world that, are, that will fade, that will fail. These are the spiritual riches, the lasting riches that we've already heard about from Adela and Sam, that he is desperate to get on these riches that we so need. Just as Sam said, the, the real relationship with the almighty God, the one who can truly provide for us in such uncertain times. The, the riches that Adela was speaking of, of surprising and unexpected joy and peace right in the turmoil and the trauma of life. The riches of hope, of a better world to come. I think we all need the riches of hope right now, of a better future, that one day all of the pain, all of the confusion, all of the frustration, all of the brokenness that we are so aware of will fall away as we step into the fullness of God's kingdom. Our tears will be wiped away, apart from the good tears, as we step into the unshakable kingdom of our God to enjoy his riches for eternity. These riches that, as we have read, are available to us now in Christ. We can receive them today. It's in the gift of Jesus Christ that we see the most public and vivid display of the abundant generosity of God, choreographed for all the world to see. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As he was crucified, as he was executed publicly for all the world to see, Jesus Christ, God the Son, was giving us himself and it's in his death only through his death that all of the barriers all of the limitations all of the who can come in is taken down so all can now see all can now know we are invited into the riches of God the fullness of his riches the riches of eternal life as it says there and so just as I come to close I wonder if you know the master is searching you out this morning Maybe for you this has happened over a series of months. You've been like, I just know something's been going on and something's happening in my heart. Maybe for you this morning it's just a new thing. It's like, come out of nowhere. I wasn't even planning to come today. It got dragged along. 
But you're starting to see this is for you. You know it. That he wants to draw you in so that you can know these riches for yourself. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Because like these workers, we do have to respond. The invitation to them was so broad. It was so inclusive. Everybody can come in. But they had to say yes to it. They had to take a step. We can miss out on this, on the offer of the master. We can choose to stay in the marketplace, or we can choose the generosity of the master. And that's the choice today. If you have never made a decision to come to Jesus, never made a decision to follow him, say yes to him. I, he, he is going to be my life. Maybe you've been far away from Jesus, and you're like, I just need to recommit myself to him. I've not been living for him. I need to get in on this. I don't want to miss out. Maybe you're just not sure. I've been coming to church. A bit like what Sam was saying. Like, how could you not be a Christian if you're coming to church every week, but you're not sure if you've ever actually stepped in on this? This morning is your opportunity. You may not know everything, but you know you need his riches that you cannot earn.